Elizabeth Barrett is a wife, mother, grandmother, licensed marriage and family therapist, educator, eavesdropper, and emotion worker. And she uses all of these skills to address the subjects that we're all grappling with in this conversation with the reluctant therapist. Happy Healthy Tuesday, Elizabeth. Happy Tuesday, Brad. Nice to see you. It is very nice to see you as well. And tell me, where in the whole wide world of thought are we going to go today? So my thoughts are wrapped around Election Day, which I still am surprised is not some sort of national holiday because we have a lot of other days not nearly as important as the preserving of our democracy. And so I wanted to stop down because the show is occurring on Tuesday of Election Day and think about and talk about our rights and responsibilities as citizens that I also think we don't talk about enough, and we especially are not doing a good enough job of passing on our rights and roles and responsibilities as citizens to our students unless they happen to be at a school that teaches uh, ethics or citizenship, which is very rare. And, you know, I, I had a citizenship class when I was in high school. Neither one of my daughters did. Um, I ask people all the time, did you get any information about voting or being a citizen when you were growing up? And very rarely do they. And as wonderful as a STEM education is, um, we've replaced some of the fundamentals of what it is to be a participating uh, citizen or human being with these skills that have only to do with workism and really not not about uh, participation. So that's where my mind is today, is wanting to talk about our responsibility, our bare minimum responsibility as citizens is to show up and vote and to vote intelligently and not just from pop culture news or our Facebook stream uh, information, but actually educate ourselves and understand what it is we're voting for. But beyond that, the idea that the democracy functions because the citizens in the democracy participate holding offices of some kind, starting from local organizations, service groups, participating in the city council or even committees within the city, uh, serving on school boards, serving at their public school when your children are participating or even when your kids graduate. Everything in our country revolves around volunteerism and participating in the civic undertaking of running a society. And yet our volunteer rates for civic roles, running for office, participating committees, keeping organizations running has consistently dropped over the last five decades. And part of the reason is that we don't teach or emphasize the importance of participating in democracy in our public school system or in our school system in general. Um, we tend to bash or criticize those people who are volunteering more than stepping in and doing the volunteering ourselves um, has become kind of a pastime. And that concerns me because the less participation we have, the more narrow the focus or lens of what gets done in this country. And, and so I was thinking about how it is that we can get young people to be more participatory in our democracy and feeling proud of being a part of this country, which is a whole nother, you know, story unto itself. My, one of my heartaches is my students who do their uh, trips abroad or their study abroad 
semesters, which are great, and they are enlightened by them, but they come home and they tend to have such a negative feeling about the United States and that they're embarrassed and they've been other places and it was so much better and the cultures are so much better and they just go on and on and I just am heartbroken. One, because many of them have little or any experience of anything in the United States beyond their own zip code. Um, and so without that kind of experience, they go abroad and then just feel like there's nothing valuable in the United States. And so unless we have some sort of vehicle to help young people gain a sense of pride and not just pride, but investment in the country, um, it's hard to consider how we're going to continue moving forward with any sense of unity. So in 2015, now, which feels like a century ago <laughs> because of all that we've been through. But in 2015, through an, an interesting series of events and meeting people and having this idea of service be something that I've been really devoted to for a long, long time. And so whenever I would get in a position where I'd talk to people who are in leadership positions, I would say, why isn't this idea of mandatory service or encouraged service for young people something that's taken off in this country? Why don't we have a very active um, service vehicle to help unite uh, young people in this country? And every time I would say something, people in leadership positions would say, that's a great idea. It should happen. There are things going on. And so in 2015, I happened to get in front of a U.S. senator, longer story than we have today, but I got an opportunity to say that same thing. Why isn't this service a thing? Why doesn't it Why doesn't it take off? And he said to me, funny you should ask, my chief of staff just left to head up a program called the Franklin Project in Washington, D.C., and we're looking for ambassadors to spread the word um, to create you know, this national service movement. And I said, that's so fabulous. And he also said to me, you know, Service has always been something that's been supported um, by government, but it's not a sexy thing to support. It doesn't have a lot of traction behind it. So it's hard to get a lot of funding and support because it's not something that people are asking for, but there's always support. So I ended up becoming a part of the Franklin Project and going to Washington, D.C. and going through their training program led by General Stanley McChrystal, which was one of the most moving experiences of my life. And if we ever get together for a cup of coffee, I'll tell you about the run walk that General McChrystal took us through at five in the morning, running through the monuments and giving a speech in front of each of uh, these figures, you know, in front of Lincoln, in front of MLK. And I cried, snot cried the whole run through. It was, it was just beautiful. And I came back from that experience in Washington, D.C., and I've devoted the last eight years, as much as I can, um, to building up this idea of service and encouraging my students at Cal Poly to get involved. And I am really proud of the amount of students that have gone on to do service years um, through Cal Poly and through the Center for Service in Action that's very active at Cal Poly. Um, but I hadn't thought about it or talked about it for quite a while. And the pandemic really kind of put a pause on doing anything around service. So with election day and my passion for service, today was the day. And I found Kristen Bennett, who fortunately was available, um, the, the CEO of the Service Year Alliance, uh, to join us today to talk about what is happening with service and service years and the Service Year Alliance. And if General McChrystal is still taking people on run walks uh, <laughs> through Washington, and to help, I hope, encourage us, one, 
to maybe do a service share yourself because there is a senior core. This isn't just for young people um, and all of the benefits, not just to ourselves, but to our country, to our community and to others. So that's where we're going today. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and you can be part of our conversation after the show by sending me an email to Elizabeth at the reluctanttherapist.com. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram, leave a message there. You can listen to previous shows by visiting kcbx.org. You can always podcast our show, wherever it is you get your podcasts, just look for a conversation with a reluctant therapist and we'll be there. And we're going to take a quick break and come back and start our conversation with Kristen Bennett. You're listening to Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. Say what's wrong, my longtime friend. Something's bothering you. Tell me what the problem is. I'll see what I can do. There are times we disagree. We agree more than. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. Thanks for tuning in. And Kristen Bennett, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm so excited that this is giving me an opportunity to bring two of my favorite things together, which is talking about service uh, and the Central Coast, since that's where my family lives. <laughs> you know, it's funny that we have brought you in to talk about service years, and your family happens to be of all places right here on the Central Coast. So, Kristen, you're the CEO of the Service Year Alliance. Correct. I I want to start with just the brief definition description of the Service Year Alliance, and then I want to back up and would love to hear how you found your way into the organization and your connections to California and the service that's going on or the initiatives here in California. Basically, that'll take up the whole hour. So it probably will. (laughs) Cut me off if you need to. Yeah, so I'll start by sharing what a service year is, just in case people aren't as familiar. So a service year, it's an opportunity to spend a year of your life uh, serving in a community to address an unmet need, gain skills, receive a a modest stipend, you're paying your bills and you have health care. So really, the, the idea is it's an experience that allows you to transform communities, your own life, and really fuel civic renewal at the same time. There's many experiences like this that people probably know about. Uh, The Peace Corps is a service year, uh, Teach for America, City Year. Uh, Many things happening in your communities are actually service years. Um, So the one thing I will say is that there aren't necessarily enough, especially, Elizabeth, to meet the vision that General McChrystal shared with you and and that you care so much about. So that's why our organization exists. The Service Year Alliance was founded in 2016, uh, following the great efforts of General McChrystal at the Franklin Project. And we are unique in the sense that we are the product of a merger. So nonprofits don't tend to do this very often, but there are four different organizations, Voices for National Service, National Conference on Citizenship, Franklin Project out of the Aspen Institute, and Service Nation out of Be the Change that had all come together 
to try and think about what it would look like if service was part of growing up in America and set a really big, bold goal of getting to a million people serving every year. We sought resources. We did everything we could as an alliance of four organizations to move things forward. And we did the rare thing of merging because we found like we need to come together if we're really going to tackle this big goal. So our mission is to make a year of service a common expectation and opportunity for all young Americans. So really, that means increasing the number of opportunities for people to serve, making it so that um, more people are aware of service and understand the value of it, uh, you know, getting more resources out of those that fund it, and thinking about how we can create more experiences that are that are quality, that are offering what young people need. Um, both in-service and post-service. How I came to Service Year Alliance is through California, like you started to say. Uh, I found myself as an undergraduate student, actually the University of Oregon, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm the product of two public school teachers, so I know what it's like to wake up every day and have a job that uh, that, that also has a mission. And I was introduced to Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone. And it really had me question, like, what, who do I want to be as a neighbor, right? Like, what is that? Like, it was not necessarily who do I even want to be as an American? It was like, who do I want to be as a neighbor? What is this connection to the local community? That led me to study uh, community and regional planning. So I'm like, I'm going to build communities. I'm, I'm going to be a planner. I graduated during the recession. <laughs> And um, I had friends left and right going to the Peace Corps, going to do different things, a number of them going to do internships. And I was very privileged in that I was financially supported through my undergraduate degree. The thought of going and doing an unpaid internship was probably a big stretch. So though I wasn't ready to go to another country, uh, like my friends were in the Peace Corps, I decided to join AmeriCorps. So I did a year as an AmeriCorps VISTA in Southern California, working to connect low-income families with uh, tax credits and and different benefits that could help them save money during the recession, and found that I wanted to figure out how I could have an impact bigger than just myself. So when I finished that, I moved to Sacramento, and I started working as a program officer for California Volunteers which is the California State Service Commission within the governor's office that oversees AmeriCorps funding and grants for the state and had a really awesome experience. I got to uh, visit programs from Wairica to San Luis Obispo (laughs) to Coachella. Um, You know, I, I saw everything that AmeriCorps and national service in our country had to offer. And I got to a point where I wanted to figure out how I could do more still, right? How could I how could I get rid of barriers I was seeing in the system? How could I make it so that more people could have the experience I had? And was fortunate to get connected to Shirley Sagawa, who was Service Year Alliance's founding CEO. So I've been uh, engaged since 2014 as one of the predecessor organizations. And here we are almost nine years later. So... The idea of service years has been around forever because I remember at the ambassador training, they were talking about how General Washington and the founding of the country said that if we don't have some sort of 
way of uniting all of these different religions and backgrounds and cultures into some sort of common experience that the country will fracture apart. And so this idea that we need some sort of common experience for each generation is being crucial. So, so what is kind of the history of service that got us to where we are today? There are a lot of different models that have kind of come to be for different reasons. Um, you know, we look back at the Peace Corps, which definitely had um, a component that was focused on diplomacy and thinking about the, you know, the role we play uh, around the globe. Uh, AmeriCorps VISTA, or VISTA originally as it was named, was really meant to be a capacity building opportunity where we could mobilize people in underserved communities uh, to alleviate poverty, right? It was all focused on the war on poverty. Uh, when AmeriCorps create, was created 30 years ago, we're uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary, and it was meant to accomplish five things at once, right? How do you give someone an experience to gain skills and uh, and get leadership development opportunities while also giving back, et cetera, et cetera? So it's looked different uh, along the way. You know, I, I should also go back and mention the CCC, right, from the New Deal. That was another moment in time where in our country we had big needs that, you know, services that needed to be delivered, as well as needing opportunities for individuals. Mm -hmm. So they've always kind of been paired. Um, you know, there's never been a single motivation for it. And one of the things that, you know, ultimately attracts me to it is that you don't really have to be about one cause, you know, ev like you can serve and you can serve in education if you want to, you can serve in the environment if you want to. Um, it gives you exposure to your community and the way things work. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I think if you know how things work, you're more intrigued to want to impact them and change them, whether that's the school system or the water system <laughs> or whatever it may be. So it's really evolved over the years. And what's special about it is the fact that it isn't driven by one thing and it isn't about one impact, but that there's a, you know, a dual bottom line, a triple bottom line, et cetera. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. My guest today is CEO of the Service Year Alliance, Kristen Bennett, um, talking about the need for service for young people, but as well for the communities. And I think, Kristen, one of, the, one of the things that has always drawn me to it is the multiple benefits to a service year. You know, I as a clinician, I'm looking at the mental health piece and the rise of anxiety and depression and feelings of loneliness and alienation. And one of the key components of good mental health is service to others. It's like written in all the research of what helps someone to function well. And it's having that opportunity to serve and feel you are of service and that your life has purpose. And so that unto it and alone for me, I think would drive people to wanting to do a service year and would drive parents to want to find a way to make sure that their children put service into their life so that they feel like they have a, a meaning and a purpose. And then I love that it's community-based where you know, you're going into a community and meeting a need that the community is asking to have met and not just bringing in your own idea. And that there are so many different ways to serve, whether, like as you said, 
doing trail building at a national park or helping someone with their immigration rights or helping doing tutoring in schools, the variety of ways that people can bring their skill sets in as a service um, is limitless. And, and so it's, for me, such an obvious vehicle. And I'm curious how this new iteration or this latest iteration of the Service Year Alliance is promoting or building or, you know, moving towards that million person goal. Yeah, we one of the things we set out to do was to define a service year so that it could grow um, by any means, so to speak. Like, you know, if if uh, a mayor wanted to grow and create service years, he could or she could. Uh, same for, you know, AmeriCorps or states or, or if a private sector wanted to fund it. And what that really comes down to is, I believe, getting to a place where the full value of service is understood, right? So it is that the triple bottom line, like you just said. Uh, we've been talking in our country for a long time about the impact on community through service and actually often put aside the impact on the individual. And we're seeing more and more that with the pandemic and, and a new generation, how important that is. Um, but it, so it's about creating more value so that different systems and people want to pay for it and want to mobilize people in service, right? I, I think what's unique about it and what we're, well, what we're, with what we're trying to accomplish, I should say, is that we're trying to create a common expectation and opportunity. And a big part of what that means is actually making it part of our society, right? Mm -hmm. So it's embedding it in everything we do. It's at the elementary school down the street, um, it's at the, you know, the mayor's office. It's, it's a uh, everywhere you could imagine where we need individuals to help deliver services, but gain skills. And in thinking about it that way, the goal really is to get to a place where when you're growing up, this is something you're seeing your neighbors do or your cousins. And when you're coming out of high school, you don't think, okay, maybe I'll go into a trade Maybe I will go to college. Um, you know, maybe I will uh, work retail locally. Um, you also add to that list. Well, maybe I'll do a service year. And you know, there's a dream people always share about on college signing day. What if you could have a service year sweatshirt also or something to show that this is a, a it's a year on where you can gain skills while giving back to the community. So. Um, it being something that is so commonplace in our society so that it's not rare to ask, like, where did you do your service year? It's very common, uh, mm -hmm. is, is the real goal. So we're not really about one program, right, or one idea. We're about expanding it to a level where it can be embedded everywhere, but more importantly, it's embedded in our culture. I love that. So it's just part of the cultural narrative. And you can ask anyone and say, where did you do your service, your service? And everybody has a story, which becomes that uniting piece. So, so what are some of the challenges that you find in getting to that place? Because again, I've never spoken to anyone who said, no, nah, I, I think service is dumb. I have, you know, once they understand the, no one has ever said they're against it. So what are some of the challenges? In a simple you know, a view of it, 
it's that a number of things have to happen for one service year to exist, right? So there has to be the money. There has to be a person excited. There has to be someone in the community willing to host them to address a need. And that all has to come together in one place, right? So the levers you need to actually increase service and all of that, it, it's it's there's multiple. So in that sense, uh, it's challenging. But beyond that, it's really that you have to get buy-in and intrigue so many different people and sectors in so many different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So people will come to the table to create programs because it makes their streets safer and they care about their neighborhood and public safety. They might not be coming because they care about service, right? Mm -hmm. So what's wonderful about service is that people will come to the movement and be engaged for so many different reasons, What's challenging about expanding service is people are interested in so many different things. Yeah. So to have a solid uh, constituency for service is a challenge. We need to embed it in every in your identity and everything else you do, right? So uh, if you invest in your church, you should also invest in service, right? If you invest in the local library, you should also invest in service. They can aid all of those. Um, but finding it as its own cause and its own um, movement can sometimes be a challenge. I think that's what I found, again, in talking with people who are serving in government, that yes, everyone believes in service, but it's not sexy enough or pressing enough to garnish the funding that it would really take to make it a national opportunity. Because as you said, it's in some ways, you have to have the ability to take a year of service. Financially, you have to be able to take that time away to do it and to have the place that's willing to pay for you to come in and do your service. I think there is so many funding issues around it. Um, but is it a is it a corporation funding issue? Is it a government funding issue? Is it all of that together? It's all of the above. Yes. I will share that when as an example, when AmeriCorps was created 30 years ago during the Clinton administration, uh, it was authorized then, it was reauthorized again in 2008 to have 250,000 people serving every year. The appropriations never came with that, right? So our, so we've never funded it at the level to actually have that number of people serving. At the same time, service is a public-private partnership. Every person that is serving uh, there it's it's because of multiple funding sources. You know, local dollars are at the table just as much as federal dollars. So all of those have to increase, but you can see how one being stagnant can be challenging for the others to grow with it and meet it as well. And I would say that beyond the money, one of the other big uh, issues is awareness. Yeah. That people don't know that service is this thing that they care about. For instance, <laughs> People always say in my in my work that um, AmeriCorps, were, they were some of the first people on the ground uh, after Hurricane Katrina and some of the last to leave, like after FEMA, everybody else, AmeriCorps was still there. So individuals might have known the value of those people being there and helping. They didn't know it was, you know, AmeriCorps and national service. So our ability to tell the story better and uh, get more people to understand that this exists in our country 
is also part of the barriers to us receiving more investments and this growing. Is it more challenging to find service your hosts or those who will participate in service? It changes. I would say that just like any other kind of market, uh, things change a lot. So for instance, when I was uh, deciding to do AmeriCorps, it was during the Great Recession. And at that point in time, there were something like 40 to one applications for every opportunity. You know, everybody of my generation was saying, let's do service. This is wonderful. And money was even going into more opportunities to serve. And the nonprofit and public sector struggled to keep up with it right in those moments, right? Like struggled to find all the places to send people and to host. Then there are other times where uh, the job market is looking really good, right? Right, right now. There's really competitive experiences, whether it's $16 an hour at five guys or it's, um, you know, learning online how to code. It, it is putting, I think, our sector in a place where now we have a lot of infrastructure and capacity within the nonprofit and public sector following the pandemic mm-hmm. um, that we don't have the young people meeting it. So it's it's been a zigzag and uh, with based on different factors. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. My guest today is CEO of the Service Year Alliance, Kristen Bennett. And on this election day, 2023, we are talking about the importance of service and giving of a service year, a very particular uh, opportunity to give your service in a community, a paid position. Um, where you spend a year working in a community for this nonprofit. And at the end of this service year, you have multiple benefits. One is an education stipend. The other is the ability to note that you have given a year of service to your country um, and the connections that you make. And so we're exploring all those options. We're going to take a break, come back and continue our, our talk and our discussion. You're listening to Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. They didn't have you where I come from Never knew the best was yet to come Life began when I saw your face And I hear your laugh like a serenade
Elizabeth Baird, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. And my guest today is CEO of Service Your Alliance, Kristen Bennett. And I'm so passionate about this topic. I've been a part of it since 2015 as an ambassador for the Franklin Project, which is under the uh, Service Your Alliance, which came together in 2016. I encourage my students quarter after quarter after quarter to spend their service year to go off and do their thing. And I've never had a student in the eight years I've been promoting this come back and tell me that they wish they hadn't. They come back and tell me this was the greatest move of my life. A couple of my favorite stories, one of my students was really set on going to medical school and really want to get those letters of rec. And he had a plan. I'm going to medical school. Then nothing's going to get in my way. And I just talked about service and the benefits of service to our mental health, to our well, you know, well-being, to the community, to the civic engagement. So he did a service year. And loved it so much, he did a second service year. So he did his two service years and then applied for medical school. And I have to tell you that when he did his medical school interviews, they all commented on his service as being something that lifted him up in the interview process of getting into medical school. And that was fabulous. And then I just got an email yesterday from a student uh, who is participating at Maggie's place in Phoenix, Arizona. And his talk has just said nothing in my life could ever come close to what I'm feeling right now. And I I want every one of my students, I want every young person that I know to have those experiences, which is why I wish I could get on a much larger, larger megaphone to, to make yeah. sure parents understood how important it is to encourage their kids to do this. Because I don't know if this is your experience, Kristen, but a lot of the pushback that I have heard from my students is their parents saying, well, you can't go work for free or do a service here. You've got to get into grad school and you've got to get on the path and get into the workforce. And so I think there's many more students who would benefit and love to do this, but their parents aren't understanding why it's so important. I had a somewhat similar experience, I should say, in that when I was first thinking about going into AmeriCorps, I was still living in Oregon and I was still away from home. And I I did get some pushback. Like, how are you going to live on that? I don't Mm -hmm. know how you'll have an apartment and everything you need on, on what you'll be paid. I was fortunate to move home. And that is one of the things that financially unlocked my ability to do a service year. And at that point in time, when we'd assessed the job market and everything that was happening in our economy, and what I really wanted and needed, I think, in uh, for my professional trajectory, I had full support of my parents. You know, it's it's very common. We hear that some of the biggest barriers are financial and then our fear of whether it's safe uh, mm-hmm. or whether it's too far from home, which, you know, only about half of people move for service. A lot actually stay and serve in their communities. But that's kind of those are universal, both for young, like teenage age um, individuals, as well as for parents. Mm -hmm. And there are also things that we can educate, right? And show like we there are ways to to not worry about this. Like you, there are ways to do it and be safe and to afford it uh, and to be successful. So educating parents, I think, is actually a very large part of what will 
unlock a future where we can scale. Same with educating teachers. Like what you are doing for your students is fabulous. Not everyone is doing that, right? Imagine if um, every, you know, junior and senior homeroom in high school had a conversation about service years and and the opportunities that it opens for people. And when to do them as well, because you can take that service year right out of high school. I know a lot of students halfway through college oftentimes end up in my office completely confused and not knowing where they're going or why they're studying this. And that's a great time for a service year, your service. And then, of course, post-graduation and then even mid-career. I mean, there's it's not just a one-time opportunity. Absolutely. We like to lift up that there are so many different reasons why people decide to serve, right? Right now, a lot of the excitement is behind the the climate movement amongst young people. And that's, that's driving a lot of people in. And, uh, you know, COVID was that before. And, you know, different things have driven people into service. But we're always hearing about the outcomes and the impact that people didn't realize they were going to have, you know, two, five years later. So I get a very different response when I ask someone, why did you serve? And what was the best thing about serving? And it's often, yes, that they learned a lot of things they didn't think they were going to learn, but that they learned to work across lines of difference. They understood how to, you know, be successful Uh, trying to solve a problem with someone who thought different from them, looked different from them, um, and just their overall ability to um, empathize and understand others and their commitment to service going forward, right? There's, There's anecdotal evidence that really shows that people that have done a service year kind of serve for life. They're more likely to volunteer, they're more likely to vote, and all of those things. One of my students, and it's funny, I encourage my students to go somewhere in the United States that they don't think they'll ever live or, you know, when whenever would you have an opportunity to live in a completely different state? So I've had students in Alaska and Washington, and one of my students went to West Virginia where she says, I was the only brown girl in my entire place in, in, in West Virginia. And the, so the town knew I was there all, always. And she ended up being really engaged in the community and riding up to um, to Washington, D.C. to talk on behalf of her community. And it's just that's the experience of being able to live someplace or be someplace in this giant country and get to know you have so much more in common with everyone than differences, I think, is one of the most beautiful pieces. So. I would love to talk about all the great ways that the service year is really growing. And one of them that I read about recently is the American Climate Corps um, Act or legislation that President Biden passed. And can you talk about that and its impact for you and the organization? Uh, Yeah, it's exciting. It's brand new. Uh, we're, we're really waiting. Well, we're investing in it to figure out how we can be helpful, but also uh, eager to see how it plays out. So the American Climate Corps was uh, passed through executive action with the, from the Biden administration just weeks ago. And the goal is really to put 300,000 people into service over the next 10 years that brings together 
two things in particular, uh, service uh, against, you know, in, in climate. So whether that's the environment or clean energy, sustainability, um, as well as specifically job pathways, career pathways. So in a way that we haven't made explicit with national service before, the intention is to get individuals into these experiences and actually have a next step for them after service. That is where we are hoping service will go. So to have an administration and a president call for it, to have so many different stakeholders within the national service wanting to see service as a pathway is really promising. One of the other aspects that we are very hopeful about is that it actually is asking many different federal agencies to come to the table and participate in this. So it's asking for USDA to have individuals serving, right, and DOE. And, and what that can accomplish is that embedding that I talked about, right? It can be where we're using service everywhere to help uh, meet the needs in our communities, but we're also starting to fuel the leaders of our country, right? Who's going to work in those federal agencies later? Uh, it'll be those that have been exposed in one way or another, and this is a, a great way of doing it. So our, oh, I should say, lastly, young people just really care about this, right? Mm -hmm. it, so of all the positions and opportunities across the country, climate positions are really at the top as far as application levels. and. It's something that's not going away, going away overnight. So it is an area of service to invest in. And that's, I love that piece of it as well, because many times students are so confused about what they're going to do or what their purpose is or what their meaning of, in life is. And to be able to bring it all together in this action of spending your service that's building skills and leadership skills and curiosity um, that it serves in a way that I think many people see a service year as a gap year, which isn't the same thing, right? It's not just taking off of the backpack and roaming around. It's a very intentional year of work and building your uh, social emotional skills. Mm -hmm. um, my, my older daughter did service, did a, a fellowship with Greenpeace in Washington, D.C., you know, back in probably when you graduated during the recession. And that was kind of the the first part of the Green Corps coming uh, up in society. I don't think people understand that there is a core for every interest in the environmental movement. And then my other daughter did two years with um, Jumpstart, which is part of, you know, working with preschool kids. And she worked in Chicago while she was going to school. So she was able to do both at the same time, that there are so many ways that people can do their service year that doesn't have to be maybe a whole year or it can still coincide with going to school and that it's it's flexible right in how you can participate absolutely and in, in california specifically we're actually seeing some pretty unique models that are that are trying to create and or play into that flexibility or the need for flexibility uh one in particular is the uh, college access core that the state launched, where this is offering a higher stipend as well as a, a higher match on an education award uh, for individuals who are already enrolled at a Cal State and uh, doing service alongside. 
So this is someone that's already in school saying, of course, right now I need money for school, right? And helping with that education award while also getting to understand the community around their university better and getting that experience alongside their college education. So we're seeing more of those models pop up too, where it's not just about a year of service, but how we can pair different experiences to fully leverage one to help the other and round out, you know, what individuals need to walk away with a complete picture of, of like an experience and skill set. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. My guest today is CEO of the Service Year Alliance, Kristen Bennett. And we're talking about all the benefits and ways that you can encourage your student or young people or even yourself uh, to give you your service to make a change. So along the lines with California, I think Governor Newsom also passed or funded fully a budget for their own California Climate Corps, correct? That's separate from what we we're talking about, the American Climate Corps. Yeah, and in fact, it it inspired a lot of the American Climate Corps. You know, I mean, the we've been talking in DC for many, many years about this, but part of what is is helping to make it real right now are these models and states. And California's been leading the way. So not only did California initially pilot this College Access Corps, this Climate Action Corps, and their Youth Jobs Corps uh, to kind of get the proven models, but we were on the ground this last last budget session helping uh, with legislative advocacy and education where we were able to see an increase in financial support. So not only are those programs sticking around, but um, some of them are also getting more state level funding. And if we can see more states doing that, it's it's a great way to to expand service. But this is a really exciting program in California, too. It uh, is built off of a program that we started actually when I was at the State Service Commission called Civic Spark. And that's an opportunity where you can like be placed in local government or in different places to actually create capacity, capacity building uh, or offer, I should say, offer capacity building to create climate resiliency plans and think about uh, weatherization efforts and and help guide where some of those services are needed locally. And then with the Youth Jobs Corps, that's exciting because I think one of the challenges with the service years previously was that for someone who came from a lower socioeconomic background, the ability to afford to do a service year because it's a very minimal pay, even though it is a compensated work, it made it really challenging. So how is the youth jobs for making it more accessible for more students or young people, not even students, right? Just young people in general to be able to participate. Yeah, it's doing that by bringing in, you know, a higher stipend, but also wraparound supports, right? And and these are, um, things that we're looking at and trying to expand elsewhere, right? This is what it really is going to take to bring people from kind of all walks of life and lived experience to serve is it's not just their stipend. It's potentially emergency financial assistance, right? If you have a cavity or you your car breaks down or your refrigerator stops working, there's these things that can um, that can put you off track and take you out of service if you don't have a financial safety net. And thinking about adding those types of benefits to support individuals is important. 
just as well as uh, mental health support and uh, mentoring so that individuals have the guidance they need to be successful. Right. I was thrown into service and it was, here's a big problem, go figure it out. And that was great for me, but that is not great for everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. So have, and I think that was part of the, the allure of the service here is that you're put in with a cohort of other AmeriCorps members who are serving and to meet them and get to know each other and talk about your levels of service would be so would be so important to make the whole experience successful. And I just keep thinking about, um, you know, the Youth Job Corps talked about taking young people who had been incarcerated or, you know, had dropped out of school and making this opportunity for them to feel productive and a part of the community and to gain skills. It just, again, the the voice in my head always says, why isn't this just a giant thing? Like, why are we having to talk about it and describe it to people um, because it just makes so much sense. And the other piece, I think it was the California budget or the the national, you can tell me that the encouraging for seniors uh, to do service years and the education stipend that goes along with a service year. Um, if, if you are a grandparent and you go to a service year, you can give that education stipend to your grandchildren. This was a huge policy change that we saw at the federal level. So there are people serving at all ages and the ability now, if you're a certain age, to transfer it to your child or your grandchild uh, is a way for you to make an an, an investment that you might not otherwise be able to make in their education. And that has been extremely valuable to people across the country. And has that already been in place then for senior core members or is that new? Well, that is new for seniors that are serving in AmeriCorps. Uh, I will admit I'm not as learned on the senior core side specifically, but for anyone that's serving in AmeriCorps who who gains an education award at the end, uh, they can transfer it to uh, a family member. And every, anyone can serve in AmeriCorps, right? We talk a lot about individuals post high school and post college because we're really wanting this to be a pathway. But when you look at the service taking place across the country, there are more seniors serving <laughs> than there are uh, Gen Z. But also the hope is that we can, can get everyone together to bridge that generational gap or that generational experience to bring the Gen Z and seniors together because that again going back to the clinician part of me that mental health uh, piece for anyone who gets to work side by side or feel like they're doing something to make a difference or or to meet a mentor or a wise elder like all of this is a win-win-win. I was recently talking to a pair of uh, individuals that were in service in an intergenerational model and it was an older woman and a younger gentleman. And the woman was saying, I hate that we have to do all of this work on the computer. You know, it requires social media. It's not really my favorite thing. And the younger guy was saying, I hate having to pick up the phone and call somebody. And she's like, I love talking to people. So not only are the skills complementary, but uh, their perspectives are different on, in life too. And they both spoke to gaining more than they realized they would by working together. So in our remaining minutes, Kristen, 
let's talk about how someone can get involved and do a service year. What are the steps? How do they find you? How do they get involved? There are some options. So first you can go to serviceyear.org. It is an online platform that posts service opportunities. So you can search and apply there. You can go to the Peace Corps website and apply directly to the Peace Corps. You can also go to americorps.gov and explore. So there's kind of different paths. Uh, I would say you can also just go to serviceyear.org and chat with us. And we're happy to talk to you about what might be a good fit and where else uh, you might want to go to get more involved. So you do have mentors available because I, I hear that quite often that the 60,000, I think there's 65,000 different service share opportunities. And that's so overwhelming that some people just shut down and don't go forward. So there are mentors that people can speak to and help kind of match skill sets to service. So our platform does a lot of that technically, right? If you fill in your interests, it will give you suggestions for opportunities across the country. It'll also show you alums who have served in similar positions if you want to reach out and contact them. But the actual chat function on the platform is my team and we're alums. Mm -hmm. And so we might not know the ins and outs of every opportunity, but we know service years, right? And we've helped a lot of people navigate uh, looking for them. So if you want to hear from someone directly, that's a way to do so. And the service year, just to reiterate, is a year working with a nonprofit in a community. It's a paid position. It also gaining skills. It includes health insurance, which I think is very important for people. Um, So it might not be a big wage, but it does include health insurance. And then the couple other key parts is that it does defer your student loans and interest forgiveness while you're doing your service. So you don't have to worry about that. And then there is the education stipend at the end of the year that ranges everywhere from like three to $6,000, if I understand correctly, that can be applied to your student loans or to another education opportunity. And then as a result, you also on your applications for school and jobs can put that you are a veteran of national service. Do they miss anything? Sometimes there's childcare as well. You know, I think we're we're understanding more and more supports that are needed. There are more programs that are actually working to offer certificates and credentials in specific uh, workforce areas. Uh, you're going to make a lot of friends and you're going to learn a lot about yourself. You know, I think that that's uh, not to be underplayed. <laughs> Absolutely. That there's got to be some joy in life. And part of the beauty of being fully engaged as a citizen is that you get to know your cohort and your community and having that sense of belonging and purpose just is beneficial on every level of our existence as human beings. And Chris, I'm just so thankful that you've been involved with this for so long and that you continue to spread the good word and, and to know that the organization is actually growing and thriving. Yeah, we are. We have a big mission still. We still want to see a million people serving. We're not going to give up until we get there. And every service year helps. So uh, look into it, sign up. And thank you for letting me speak about this today. I appreciate you. This has been a conversation with the Reluctant Therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. 
You can send me an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com if you'd like any more information. I can also visit serviceyear.org. You can listen to this show and previous shows at kcbx.org or podcast the show to listen at your convenience. As always, I appreciate you tuning in, listening and supporting our community and Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. You know the tears are rolling down your face And it feels like yours was the only heart to break When you come back home and all the lights are out And you're getting used to no one else being around 